Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Growing Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Cruz. On this episode, I have the great honor of interviewing Mr. Ian Bennett. Ian is a former National FFA officer as well as a former Georgia State FFA officer. Ian, why don't you say hello and give us a little bit of information about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I don't know that I've ever actually been on anybody else's podcast, uh, so this is pretty cool. But I'm a a student here at the University of Georgia. Uh, We're actually doing this over Skype today, which is pretty neat. Um, and so I'm going to school here. I'll graduate in May with a degree in agriculture communications. Um, and so really, I mean, one, one of my big plans is to, to farm at some point. Um, don't really have the, the money or the setup that I'd like to right now. So I'll probably work for somebody uh, for five or six years after school until I try to get the rest of that sorted back out. Uh, but that's the general plan right now is, you know, keep working. I work for a, a researcher here on campus, and then I work for an older guy who's got some cattle and some sheep around the school. Um, so just keep doing that kind of stuff and just keep trying to uh, figure out a way to make money farming. Really interesting. Um, so let's kind of just dive in and what I know you for and kind of what other people know you for is your FFA, your, your FFA career. So you had the honor of being a national FFA officer, which is very, very slim people get to do. Not a lot of people get to do that. So could you kind of give us a little bit of background of what the process was like for you to go from, you know, student or past state officer to become a national officer? You know, what was that process like um, when you got to national convention, before you got to national convention, and then after you were elected, what was the whole experience kind of like? Yeah, well, I would say it's probably a little different for everybody. Um, So for me personally, coming from the state of Georgia, Mm-hmm. Um, I had to be nominated as the candidate from Georgia. So mm-hmm. every state is allowed to sub- – and U.S. territory is allowed to submit one person every single year. Um, not every state sends somebody every year. That's not anything wrong with the states. I mean it's a, you can't force anybody to run. So if nobody from that state wants to run, there might not be 52 people every single year. But it's it's pretty close. I mean it's in the high 40s every year. And so you know, your state nominates you to run. Um, in order to be eligible for that, you have to have or be getting your American degree at that national convention, and you have to be at least one year out of high school. Um, I'm sure there's probably some other requirements on top of that, but those are the big ones. And so, you know, I did a lot of stuff on the state level getting ready. Um, the FFA is pretty transparent. You can go on FFA.org and look up national officers, and they'll tell you, you know, what all those interview rounds are like and how all that works. Um, but I think it's roughly 13 rounds of interviews that you go through over the course of that week. And so you do stuff, you know, with actual FFA members. I mean, you'll facilitate a lesson like you would in a classroom. Uh, you'll write some essays, you'll do media interviews. So kind of like what we're doing here now, um, you'll do interviews with ag professionals. You'll do interviews with education people. And then there's a committee of nine FFA members who select a national officer team every year. Uh, which is a pretty cool thing. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people realize that. I think a lot of people might think that we, you know, when we say we're elected, that we're voted on, um, which is true. I mean, the delegate body does have to approve us. I guess they could go back and and say that they think the committee did something wrong and kick one of us out if they really wanted to. Um, but it's neat that we sit down, you know, we do group interviews with that group of nine people. We do one-on-one interviews with every single one of them multiple times. And they really are the ones at the end of the day who, on behalf of the rest of the members, narrow that field of, you know, 48, 49 people all the way down to six. And after that, 
Um, and that whole process takes place a couple days before convention starts, um, and then all the way through the end of convention. Um, so I actually am, am pretty good friends with the guy who's running from Georgia this year. His name's Willie Sizemore. Um, and I'm pretty sure he heads out uh, Friday to, to get up to national convention, and they start on Saturday with all that interview process. And the actual convention doesn't start until either Wednesday or Thursday. And so it's it's quite a process to get elected. And then after that, I mean, your year pretty much starts immediately. Um, you know, you miss a week of school for a national convention, obviously. But then if you get elected, you stay up there for almost a full another week. And then they send you home. Um, you've got a couple more weeks um, up until Thanksgiving, basically, to get everything, the house in order, get everything cool with the school, um, to, to get ready to go live and be on the road as a national officer for the rest of that year. That's really interesting because, you know, we kind of talked about the process and, you know, you kind of assume it's very, uh, it's a very hard process and very rigging. And then, you know, you talk about how you got to go to through 13 rounds of different interviews and different, um, different types of tests and everything. And, you know, that's something that a lot, I don't think a lot of FFA members really understand about that process, or at least I didn't really have a big understanding of it until actually the Florida candidate this year is actually from my town, Kyle Garner. He's from my home chapter. Um, So I kind of got a little bit of that because, you know, I've people that are helping me prepare for state office or also helping him prepare for national office. So that was really cool to kind of get a little taste of what that was like now. So before you're a national officer, you're obviously a state officer and I know it's different everywhere you go. So here in Florida, um, every year in April, we have a screening process where seniors go to our leadership training center and we have a two day screening. And at the end of the week, they'll pick two candidates for each area of the state. And then the top two candidates out of the entire screening are the presidential. And then they have about a month or a month and a half to campaign. And then at state convention, they have that week. And then on Thursday, we vote. Friday, they have the announcement. Can you kind of tell us a little bit of what it's like in Georgia or if, you know, when you're a national officer, you get to go to different states and you kind of are exposed to, I don't know how exposed you are to that process of state to state, but can you kind of tell us a little bit about what that process in Georgia was like for you or if you've seen any other type of process for becoming a state officer? Yeah, that's that's another one of those interesting things about FFA is I would say almost every single state runs their state officer program differently. Um, and that's a good thing because they all kind of modify it to make it work for what they have going on in their state. And so in Georgia, um, you can run for a state officer either as a senior in high school or a freshman. No, let me take that back. You run as a junior or a senior. And so you would serve your year as a state officer as a senior in high school or a freshman in college. Um, some states do that differently. Some states don't you allow don't allow people to do it while they're in high school still. Um, just kind of depends on what they do and how often they're going to be on the road. Um, here in Georgia, you know, I didn't have to take any time off of school. I was pretty fortunate. I went to uh, a junior college at a great school. Um, Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College it was about 45 minutes down the road from my house. So it worked out really, really well for me. Um, spent two years there, graduated there, had a great time. Um, but during that year, you know, I took a essentially a full course load. I took 12 hours each semester. And, 
you know, all the conferences that were put on in the state of Georgia, we wrote that curriculum. We facilitated that content. Um, we did chapter visits all across the state. Um, one of the one of the really cool things I got to do is there's a lot of new chapters that year for whatever reason in the state of Georgia. And so we got to go to a lot of those, and those were really fun chapter visits. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the Georgia has a, a summer camp, and so we don't actually staff the summer camp, but those facilities we use for all of our conferences. Mm-hmm. And and then we have state convention, obviously, which is you know kind of its own thing for every state. We wrote all of that content, um, presented state convention, you know, did that whole thing. So that was a little bit of what our year looked like. Um, I would say as far as our duties, it was fairly on par with what you would think of for a state officer. Um, but we do do things a little differently here in the state of Georgia. Out of curiosity, where is the Georgia State FAA Convention? Atlanta? No, it's held in Macon. So Macon is oh, kind okay. of the central most city in the state. Um, and they have a, a big, nice, they call it the Centroplex. Um, it's okay. a big convention hall with a hotel attached to it. So is it like, so like in Florida, we have, convention doesn't really start till Tuesday. That's when we have our first like opening session. Mm-hmm. And then that Monday is all like CDE day. So if you're competing in par pro, prepared, whatever. That's your Monday you compete. Um, Tuesdays is like the finals day in the morning, and then you have the opening session that night, and then you have sessions all the way until Friday. Is that kind of how it is in Georgia? Uh, roughly. Uh, so one of the blessings about um, being the, I think we're the third largest state in terms of membership, mm-hmm. um, is that we can't really have all of our state contests at one time because we just don't have the facilities really anywhere in the state to do that. Yeah. Um, so we have a couple state-level contests throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, all the livestock stuff is done beforehand, yeah. a lot of forestry stuff, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff that would be hard to do in the middle of yeah, the city, yeah. we do outside of the city. And, but all, like, the AgriScience Fair, all the proficiency awards, almost all of the speaking awards, mm-hmm. um, that all takes place at Macon, at the convention. Yeah. Um, ours normally starts on a Wednesday, or Wednesday, Thursday, and we'll go to a Saturday. Um, and it's done by, they try to be done by noon on Saturday. That doesn't always mm-hmm. happen. Uh, but the plan is to be done somewhere between noon and three o'clock. And so it looks a little different. Um, I know this year, especially they're they're changing around some of the scheduling of when things are. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's about like that. But we just are so large. We have about. Um, I want to say around 6000 people at our convention. Oh, and wow. So we yeah, which is really cool, mm-hmm. but it pre- presents some uh scheduling yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of just to getting people around. So we kind of have to do things a little bit differently just on that end. So we kind of talked about your post high school FFA experience. Um, I kind of want to talk about, I remember from listening to your podcast that um, you did agri science fair, right? I did. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about what your agri science fair project was? Cause I know I didn't really have a full understanding of what agri science fair was. You know, I knew that it was a science fair that directly, deal with agriculture, um, but I didn't really know all the divisions and all that kind of stuff. So can you kind of give a brief explanation of, you know, what AgriScience Fair is, but also what your AgriScience Fair project was? Yeah, well, the so the FFA's AgriScience Fair um, is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's a straight-up science fair that's only about agriculture. So to do that, um, and they've changed them a couple times since I've been in the FFA, um, but I want to say off the top of my head that there's – six divisions and four categories within each one of those divisions. So uh, the category would be like animal science, plant science, um, social systems, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
and then the, the divisions would be junior and senior, and then there's an individual and a partner project in each division. Um, so for the most part, um, mine were all animal science-based projects. And some years I would have a partner, some years I wouldn't. It just kind of depended on where I was at in school and what I was doing. Um, but my project specifically revolved around, um, I was the first person to prove that you can take an infrared thermometer and measure the temperature of livestock animals. Um, so my growing up, my dad was a vet, um, and my family raises registered Charley cattle. Um, and my uncle's got some sheep, and I help him a lot with those, showed them growing up. And just as a, you know, as a little kid, when you first get started on, on a farm, one of the, I guess, kind of the safest things for you to get involved in is just kind of help with the health screening of the animals. So it's, a, you know, three or four times a year, check up on everybody, give them whatever kind of vaccines or dewormers or whatever you need. And a big part of that is, is taking the temperature of the animal, just like in a little kid, if they've got a fever, something else is probably wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever taken the temperature of a cow before. Uh, but generally speaking, um, you know, you've got a probe thermometer that you stick up the, the back business end of a cow. <laughs> and it takes about 60 seconds for that to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily the most sanitary thing in the world. It's also not really the, the safest thing in the world either. And mm-hmm. it takes a while. Um, and so I wanted to figure out a better way to do that. Um, and f- somewhere along the lines, we came up with the, an infrared thermometer, which was a pretty new thing at the time. I started doing this in sixth grade, about spring of my sixth grade year. And so we set up a project where we took some cattle on our farm. And I just wanted to prove that this would work because mm-hmm. everything that I'd seen about it, read about it, saw on the Internet about it was really that this was for machinery and it was used in warehouses and that kind of stuff on engines. Yeah. Nothing about animals at all that I could find. Um, the only thing I could really find about using this to take the temperature of livestock um, was there was a publication done by a company in China that made these that said you might be able to do it, but they didn't know how. Um, and so just based on that, we just kind of went for it. Um, and so we took temperatures in, in what I called the traditional way, the way people normally do it, and then I took the infrared temperature on the nose of the animal. Um, and we decided on that really I mean, I did this, I started this project as a partner project with my brother. And so we decided on that really just because there's not any hair there and it's not that hard to get cow to look at you. Um, so it seemed like a kind of a logical spot to pick. And so what we ended up finding out was that there was a pretty significant difference between the internal body temperature of the animal, which is what you want, mm-hmm. and the surface temperature on the nose. And so... Then we went back in and did a lot of testing and a lot of different replications. Um, we did an ANOVA analysis, some t-tests, a lot of different statistical stuff to try to figure out what that average difference is going to be. And so it's different between cows and sheep. Um, and it also would be a little different just based on the different breeds of cattle that you have. And if they've been standing in the sun for a while and different stuff, um, you could see a little bit of difference there. But generally, it's about 13 degrees in cows and about 10 degrees in sheep. And so what you're able to do is go back in. And so, you know, you've got an infrared thermometer, you walk up, you take a temperature of a cow, whatever number you get on the screen, add 13 to that, and that's the internal body temperature. Uh, works pretty well, actually. Um, I was very surprised at how well it worked. Um, went through the process, um, you know, all the way through my senior high school, 
ended up winning the National Agro Science Fair, won um, a proficiency award in emerging ag technology, which isn't an award area that they have anymore. That was actually the last year for it. Um, and, and, you know, went through the process of trying to figure out how to design my own. There was a couple things I wanted to improve on the ones that they had on the market now. Uh, some of those improvements have been made. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was an interesting project. Really got me involved in science from an early age. Um, and really got me into the FFA, too, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I came from, I guess you could call it a farming background. I mean, my, my grandfather started a farm. He was a sharecropper growing up. And, you know, my dad was a veterinarian, but we didn't live on the farm. You know, I, I grew up in a suburb next to a golf course. We just so happened to have some cows in a different spot. And so it was pretty neat to get involved in that way. I mean, it was something that didn't really feel like traditional farming, but it was still interesting to me. And it allowed me to kind of find my own path through the FFA. Um, that's where I really developed a lot of my speaking skills, too. Because, um, you know, infrared thermometers are kind of hard to explain. Yeah. Um, they don't really work the way you think they should. They almost work backwards to me. Um, and just being able to explain science to people and explain, you know, how to run a statistical analysis on a data set when you're in the seventh grade is not an easy thing to try to figure out how to do. And so, you know, in those presentations and in those practices, I got a lot of work with speaking. Uh, the agro-science fair is something that my school is, is really, really big into. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Lowndes High School. Um, so if there's anybody listening that, that knows a lot about agro-science fair, uh, we're, we're pretty competitive in a lot of divisions every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in, in no small, small part to my ag teachers in the school system for giving us the support that we have. Um, but it was always kind of a point of pride for us. I mean, we were a... I guess you would call it a normal high school. I mean, it's it's Lowndes High School, and we'd go to national convention, and we'd be competing with all these schools with, you know, science in the name of the high school and all this stuff. Um, and so it was something for us that you know we weren't really necessarily supposed to be all that good at, uh, but we figured out a way to do it, and we really wanted to win, and we put in the time and the effort to make that happen. So it was definitely a huge part of of everything I did in the FFA. All right, just to ask you, is th- is it saying it's recording on your side? Uh, yeah, it says Parker's recording the call. All right, okay, cool. I was just like, I don't want to get this far, and then it. No, you're good. You're good. All right, okay. So you kind of talked about how your dad was a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Did was that aspect of having someone that is involved with animals on a regular basis? Did that kind of help spark or push you more towards of having that love of animal science and being more of an animal person and being your dad being a veterinarian did that ever kind of push you to want to be a vet or ever push you away of wanting to be a vet um i would probably say a little bit of both um you know having a veterinarian from a father is definitely an interesting thing uh we grew up in a, a relatively small town all things considered um and so you know he was a mixed practice vet he did small and large animals and he was pretty much always on emergency call and so we could be you know, sitting at the dinner table and he'd get a phone call and, and somebody's dog had gotten hit or somebody's cows were sick or something and he would have to get up and go. Um, and so I definitely have an interesting perspective on what it means to be a veterinarian and, and to live in a small town and to raise animals because, you know, when you sign up to take care of another living thing, that's an all-day, 24-hour thing that you've got to do. You know, it doesn't matter if it's raining outside. It doesn't matter if it's cold. If something needs to be done to you know, help that animal or protect that animal or to make sure that things are, are done the right way so it lives a healthy, happy life that needs to be done. Um, and so 
I think that definitely gave me a really interesting perspective, especially when you start talking about, you know, medicines and antibiotics and in ways to raise and treat animals. Um, and I definitely would say I, I probably considered becoming a veterinarian for a while. Um, I would say for me personally, the one thing that kind of, I guess the reason I didn't want to go to vet school and become a veterinarian is as much as I really like animals, I really, I like to see healthy, happy animals doing what they like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, probably 99% of the time when they come to a veterinarian's office, there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, which is cool if you you know if you're a problem solver and you like to fix things yeah. and you like to see things go from one state to a better state, you know it's a great career. You can make a huge difference and really impact you know not only animals' lives but people's lives too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I thought about it for a while, um, but it just wasn't something that I was interested in as a career. So kind of transitioning from you know we've talked about your background with animals and your involvement in the FFA, I kind of want to transition more into what you're doing now in college. And like you said, your degree is in uh, agriculture communications, but you're also a part of the UGA livestock judging team. Is that correct? Uh, So I was. So that's not something I'm involved with anymore. Um, Really great program. I strongly encourage everybody to judge livestock. Um, But that that has ended for me. So you get a a one-year term on that. Oh, okay. uh, So it's kind of like... So it's kind of like like collegiate meat judging where you only have like one year of eligibility. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same same concept. So like with the territory of being involved with animals and your dad being a veterinarian, did that kind of lead you to being interested in livestock judging when you're in FFA? Um, so I never actually judged livestock through the FFA. Oh, okay. Um, we just didn't have enough people for a full team. Oh, uh, gotcha. Um, so it wasn't something that I ever got involved with until college. Um, I really wish I had because I probably would be a lot better at it than I am now, to be quite honest with you. Um, <laughs> it was it was kind of frustrating to me because I can you know I can judge livestock fairly mm-hmm. well. I can tell you the good ones and the bad ones, especially in a set of four. Um, but as far as the giving the reasons and explaining and sounding like yeah. someone knows what they're talking about, I don't really have the vocabulary for that. Yeah. Um, and I started that um, immediately after my years in national officer. So from going you know from literally being a public speaker all day every day to trying to speak to people and not knowing what I'm talking about was incredibly frustrating for a while. Um, but it was good. You know, it was a good thing to be involved in. It was an excellent program. It took me to a lot of cool places. We got to go judge um, at the National Western out of Denver. We got to go do a lot of, a lot of really, really cool stuff. So I would, I would strongly encourage anybody who's interested to give livestock judging a try. Now, so to kind of focus in on your major of agriculture communications, um, can you kind of just tell us a bit of a little bit about, you know, you talked about how your eventual goal is to be involved in farming, you in a farm. Um, can you kind of tell us is like what you want to kind of do with your ag communications degree? Do you want to do just strictly farming or do you want to branch off and do other things or are you kind of dead set on just farming? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I, I definitely want to farm, um, but that's probably going to look pretty different for me than it does when most people think about what yeah. farmers do. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I would love to stay in the southeast. Um, preferably, I would like to stay in South Georgia, um, but really, you know, it's kind of wherever the best opportunity leads me. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my degree is concerned and how that relates back to what I want to try to do, um, you know, my family raises beef cows, we sell seed stock, so we sell mm-hmm. bulls and heifers to people for yeah. their operations. You know, there's a lot of sales and marketing that goes into that. Yeah. And, and it, 
by and large, you know, the people who are successful at it um, and the people who make money doing it, not necessarily just having good cattle, but making money at the same time, those people know how to sell and market the animals that they raise. Um, the same thing comes for sheep. You know, my uncle raises lambs. I work for a guy who's got lambs now. Um, I really would like to incorporate that in some way. Um, and a lot of that, again, comes back to, you know, yeah, you've got to raise them and you got to have good ones, but then you got to be able to sell them and, and make a profitable price for them at the same time. Uh, another thing that I, I really would like to get into just as far as, as farming is concerned um, would be some kind of a commercial greenhouse operation. So I hadn't really narrowed this down exactly as to what I want to do yet, and mostly that's because I haven't really started doing it yet. Mm -hmm. um, but greenhouses give you a lot of flexibility in terms of the crops you can raise and in terms yeah. of timing. Mm -hmm. So you know, I'm fortunate in, in South Georgia where I grew up, we can graze green grass pretty much year-round. Um, you know, if you were to combine a greenhouse in with that, I mean, you really could produce fruits and vegetables, you know, cut flowers, kind of whatever you decide to grow in a greenhouse. You really can run that greenhouse year round. And so having that, that shorter turnover crop to go in with some longer term, you know, animal projects and different things could, I, I could see that working really well for the kind of farm that I want to run and coming from, a a perspective of, you know, I don't have a couple million dollars to go buy a thousand acres somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's it's a lot easier to grow stuff mm -hmm. in a greenhouse, and it's probably a lot less money um, when you take all things into consideration just in getting started. Um, I think as far as, you know, if I want to do other things outside of farming, um, I'd say absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know that I've really at any point in my life focused too much on doing one thing at a time. Um, and I think a lot of that is just because I, not that I get bored easily, but I'm I'm kind of easily distracted. So I like having four or five things to work on at one time. It just kind of, in a weird way, it helps me keep a little bit more focused on each one because I can kind of move back and forth to each part. And it allows me to say like, oh, well, this worked really well over here. Let me try doing this, you know, in a different area of my life. And so, you know, I've got a podcast. I, I definitely want to keep doing that. It's called Setting Roots. Um... <laughs> I've got some episodes scheduled coming up here, you know, different stuff with that. Um, you know, I really like, you know, journalism and media and, and really just to boil it down simply, I really like helping people understand stuff. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of people just really don't get agriculture yeah. and not in a bad way and it's not their fault. But, you know, I, I can understand if somebody grew up, you know, in a city has never seen a cow before in their life, has never been on a farm before in their life, and they read a bunch of stuff on the internet and they see these videos and they hear all this stuff and they have a negative impression of what's going on, you know, I, I can understand that. And, you know, that's not a lack of understanding on their fault because they've tried to understand, but it's, it's our fault because we haven't really done a good job of helping them understand what's actually going on. And so I would love to be able to continue to do that in some way um, I haven't quite figured out what that's going to be yet. Um, if anybody's listening who wants to give me a job in May, <laughs> feel free <laughs> to get in touch with me. I'll be looking for one. Um, but, you know, yeah, probably for five or six years outside of school, um, I want to go at least five or six years out of school. I want to go get a job for, you know, whether that's somebody or whether that's for a company um, that is successful and that does good things and knows what they're doing. And I want to work for them and do good work for them and learn from them at the same time. Um, 
And so I've, I've got some, some different things in mind, some different opportunities that I'm looking at. Uh, but that's definitely been one thing I've been trying to figure out in the last couple of weeks is what's the next step. I really liked how you talked about that. A lot of people don't really get agriculture. I like how you word it, like put that. And I feel like that's very true. And that's a big reason why I started my podcast was listening to you and really thinking about, man, I really enjoy podcasts. I really would like to find a way where I can be a voice or inform people about agriculture, but do it my way and something I enjoy. So I kind of just took what you were doing and kind of did it my way. And I was like, well, if Ian can do this and it's effective and I enjoy it, why can't I do it and do it my way and see if other people enjoy it? And, you know, I've made six episodes so far. This will be the seventh. And I feel like the last one, episode six, was probably the best understanding where I kind of knew what I wanted to do the best way I could and how I can effectively do it, where people would get it, people would enjoy it, and people would retain what they learned. Um, that being said, I also am a person who would like to know more about the industry that I'm involved in. And so are you. So could you kind of give me and then other people who might also be interested in learning more about the agriculture, like maybe some websites or some columns or articles that or even books that might pique our interest or we should read? Yeah. Um, so I'll probably take this in a couple categories, I guess. Um, so books is probably, I guess, where I'll start. Um, so there's a lot of really, really, really detailed scientific books if you're interested in agricultural research. Um, there's Especially when it comes to GMOs and genetic engineering, there's a lot of really good written, published work. Um, and that's mostly just because a lot of the people who wrote those were scientists, and so that's what they're used to is writing papers and books and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, a really interesting one that I just finished reading is called Lords of Harvest, and I can't remember the name of that author. Um, I'm sitting in my computer, so I'll see if I can't get it to pull up. Um, but the guy, he was raised, raised on a farm and became an agricultural journalist um, and wrote this book about kind of the, it's called Biotech, Big Money, and the Future of Food. Um, so it talks about, you know, how did we figure out how to make GMOs first and foremost? And then, you know, it's kind of that thing I was talking about earlier. It's one thing to have a product, and it's another thing to make money selling it. And so it kind of goes through that whole process as well. Because um, you had all these chemical companies and these genetic engineering companies try to figure out, well, how do we work with a seed company and how do we, you know, get a gene that we developed into a food and then get it through regulation and then get it onto the market and then get people to buy it and eat it. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating book. Um, it's a little dense, but it's, it's a really, really fascinating book. Um, as far as like newspapers and journals and, and that kind of stuff, I mean, I would say your traditional newspapers are going to give you a lot of the good, broad information that you'd want. Um, one interesting place that I really like to look online is the the USDA Economic Research Service does a lot of really good information. But on their website, they have a place called Charts of Note. And so anytime they make a publication or write a paper and they make a chart to go with something, so they have a, a data set and they made a chart to explain it, they put all of these charts on the section of their website called Charts of Note. And so... I don't know. It's it's really odd, the stuff that will come up on there. I mean, it's quite literally anything that they look at, so you never really know what's going to pop up. But it's got fascinating stuff on there. 
Um, so the like the first one that comes to my mind. Um, so like traditional, what they call head lettuce, like you would buy at a grocery store, a round head of lettuce, and leaf lettuce, like romaine lettuce and that kind of stuff. Um, if you go back to the 70s, it was like 90% head lettuce, 10% romaine. Or I, I don't remember the exact numbers. But today, they're 50-50 in terms of market share and what people are buying. And so that's been a massive change in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, and so there's a lot of information like that that they put out that's just really interesting. Um, the Farm Journal puts out really good content. Uh, AgriPulse, if you're interested in kind of more of the policy side of things, AgriPulse is based out of D.C. They do a lot of really good policy work. Um, Drovers, if you're interested in the livestock side of things, I think it's technically owned by Farm Journal. But that's their uh, livestock publication. I didn't know if you're gonna like. I didn't know if you're thinking or if you were just kind of done. So, uh, um, well, thank you. That was actually really yeah. informative. I'm definitely gonna look into those because a big part of the exam we have to take at state officer screening is agriculture knowledge, and we have to do a practicum where we have to do an ag agriculture knowledge based interview. Um, so, kind of just one more question to uh, wrap it up. You know, two weeks. There's going to be the, the world's largest cocktail party happening in Duval. So I want to get your prediction of how the game's going to do, go down as being a Georgia boy, me being a Florida boy. How do you think it's going to go down in Jacksonville? Well, I mean, obviously I think the dogs are going to win. Um, this is going to be, I mean, it doesn't really matter who you're a fan of. I think anyone would agree this will probably be one of the better games that we've had in the last five or six years. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited for it. I've got a ticket. I've never actually been. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm excited to go this year, uh, but we're, we'll see. I mean, I think Georgia's defense is probably as good of a defense as I've ever seen play football. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I watch a lot of football. Um, yeah. So I think our defense will be really, really good. Um, I think we have some questions on offense just in terms of the the style of offense that we're going for and how we want to move the football. Um, you know, I, I also think that the coaches probably know a whole lot more about what's going on than a lot of the fans do. And I'm, I'm probably on the coach's side in terms of what we're doing on offense. Uh, but I think as long as Georgia can move the football and get production, yeah, um, I have n no problem in my mind saying that Georgia will probably win that game by a couple touchdowns. I, uh, I can respect that. You know, I went to the South Carolina game this past weekend. Um, and you know, there's a big, a lot of big questions that still need to be answered. Mm -hmm. I say from LSU, the biggest thing was like we could not stop the run game at all. And you guys having a beast at running back is definitely going to be something we got to work seven, on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, we have injuries on both sides of the ball. And I hope it's, I hope it's pretty good. If it's anything, at least like the first half of the LSU game, I think I'll be okay. So that kind of wraps up the podcast i really appreciate you coming on because you know you're a big inspiration for this whole project and i really do appreciate that um so thank you for coming on thank you for taking time out of your day and i really appreciate it oh no problem man i had a blast like i said i'm pretty sure this is the first time i've ever been on anybody else's podcast it's pretty <laughs> cool well thank you um guys thank you for listening um 
to another episode of the Growing Knowledge Podcast. I really do appreciate it. And if you guys want to hear someone next or want to hear a certain pot, um, topic on the podcast, just let me know on our my different social medias, you know, the Growing Knowledge Podcast on Instagram, or you can DM me directly at Parker Cruz on Instagram as well. Um, so I just really appreciate it, guys, and I'll see you guys next time.